and I are going on. Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz singer Diane Fraser. We caught up with her about her new 2023 CD, You and I, and her life as a singer. She regularly presents and performs in live Broadway-themed musical events, including many benefit concerts for nonprofit organizations. Along with the music, she is a partner in the management production company, Industry Entertainment Partners, where she represents film and television writers. Prior to joining the industry, she was the vice president of series packaging and TV literacy at ICM. She's got a great story. Enjoy this interview. Well, hey, before I get into your latest album, You and I, I'd like to cover what we've lived through for the last three and a half years or so, getting through a pandemic. And it did its own thing on everyone and more specifically on artists and musicians. How did you get through that time period and how did it change you? I I really started working on the album during the pandemic. Um, And, you know, it's, I have another career. I I am a partner in a management company in Los Angeles, and I represent film and television writers. So that's my primary career, uh, which slowed down a lot during the pandemic. It didn't slow down completely, but I was still working during that time, and I had been doing a lot of line, live shows, mostly a lineup show where we had a lot of singers in an evening at a club in L.A. that's since closed called Rothwell Table and Stage. And the show was called An Evening of Classic Broadway. And we started doing it in 2014 and we're doing four to six shows a year, which ended obviously in 2020. We had a show scheduled that we had to cancel. But I had been, I had done a cabaret show, um, The Last Writer's Strike, 0708. I worked on a cabaret show, and that was my initial show. And I, I performed that about eight times in different venues in L.A., San Francisco, Palm Springs. Then I started doing, <clears throat> in addition to my day job, uh, a lot of benefit concerts for the Actors Fund and the Help Group and other nonprofits. Uh, and I had always wanted to do a Leslie Brickish show as a follow-up to my first cabaret show. And I started working on the songs and got, you know, you know, maybe 32 songs that I wanted to sing. And then I got busy with other things, so never got back to it. Then during the pandemic, I thought maybe this is an album. So I contacted my music director who had worked with me on the Brickus material, Todd Schroeder, and he thought that was a great idea. So we worked over Zoom for about a, at least a year and a half, paring down the list of songs. He wrote arrangements, and we worked, worked on it that way. Then we got into the recording studio when people were out and about again, um, and you know, this this is the first album I've recorded, and I wasn't actually sure if I'd ever get it done. It was like, yeah, this is, you know, at some point I'll do it. And then this year, May 2nd, the right, a writer's strike hit again. And I know, um, I, I you know, it's the third strike that I've been through in my career in the entertainment industry. So I thought this could be five or six months, which it was. And so I said to Todd, let's get it done. So he mastered the songs. I had photo taken, photos taken, album artwork. Uh, 
you know, I had various singer friends helping me navigate the world of CD Baby and uploading your music, and I got signed to the Blue Jazz record label, um, and then decided to book two live shows as sort of CD release shows. So I did one November 15th at the Catalina Jazz Club here in L.A., and then last week at Don't Tell Mama in New York. Um, and, and the album was released December 1st. So um, I, I'm very proud of the work we did on the album. The, the, the arrangements are great. My sister's the drummer on the album, and she did the live shows as well. And this is just music that I have loved my entire life. Um, and what I have come to realize, especially doing the live shows, is that not enough people are aware of Leslie Brickus. People think Michael Bublé wrote Feeling Good and and Sammy Davis Jr. wrote What Kind of Fool Am I? You know, I mean, it's... And seriously, I have discovered... It was sort of a running joke in the patter in the live show about how people think Leslie Brickus was a woman and that they don't know all the things he did. So... I feel like it, it. what started as sort of a little bit of a vanity project for me has turned into a nice tribute for Leslie Brickus. So let me ask you this. I'm curious, you know, getting this album out, what kind of relief is it to, to have this out after such a long time, you know, the, to be able to perform live, just getting out of the pandemic? Is there a, le- a level of relief with this release? Yeah, I think so, because it was, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of, I ha- I have to say I have mixed feelings because we worked on it for a long time, and as long as you're working on it, it's still a project you're working on, and it's a goal that you're aiming toward. Now that the album's released and I've done the live shows, it, it's a relief, but it's also like, oh, I wish I was still working on it. But I think I'm going to do, I'm going to arrange for some other dates at different places for the show because it really, it was very well received. It's it, it's funny. I didn't think we would infuse as much humor into it. And so many people just came up to me and said, "I if I ruled the world, that's my favorite Tony Bennett song. I didn't know he wrote that. And it's just uncanny to me that people don't know who he was. And it's funny because he died in October of 2021, so still in the pandemic mode. Um, and when I heard that that he had died, I thought, oh, great. Now every cabaret singer in the world is going to do a Leslie Brickus show, a Leslie Brickus album. And nothing happened after that. No, I wasn't aware of anyone doing it. And even the, the guy I'm working with at the Blue Jazz record label said this, this idea is genius. No one has recorded his songs like this. Um, meanwhile, Sondheim dies the next month, and everywhere you go, Sondheim, Sondheim, you know, so it was kind of funny. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that there will be life beyond just this release and the, the two shows I've done so far. So how did this jazz music journey begin for you? Take me back to where you were born and raised, and well, how did I was, it begin? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lifelong, sort of a lifelong pursuit of mine. I grew up not far from where I live now in North Hollywood, California. And probably from the age of four years old, I wanted to be a Broadway star. That is what I loved. I think I was 
you know, born too late. I loved, you know, Andy Williams and Petula Clark and all these older singers. And um, when I saw the movie Goodbye, Mr. Chips, that was when I really became aware of Leslie Griffiths. And I saw the movie because I love Petula Clark. But the, the music was just spectacular and I loved it. And then, um, uh, but, but mostly that was my goal was to be, you know, move to New York and be on Broadway, which I did, but mostly I was a waitress when I was in New York. And, um, and then I needed a, a real job. I produced a couple of musicals that didn't make money and I came back, moved back to LA in with my parents. And I needed a regular job, and and by some a fluke, I got a job at a production company as an assistant. And then from there, I became an agent. And I was an agent for many years. I was a partner in a small literary agency. Then I went to ICM um, in TV series packaging and TV literary. And then from there, became a manager. And as a manager, I have had many producing projects, some that I have currently, and, you know, represent film and TV writers, which I've been doing, you know, for a very long time. And I love my work. I love the people I work with, my company, my clients, and I will do this forever because it also finances my musical pursuits. Um So I, but I got back, I hadn't done any performing for a long period of time. I had kids and a big job. And then uh, at one point, I did a a fundraiser for my daughter's school for their musical theater program. And they were doing uh, Oklahoma as their spring musical, and they had no money in the budget. So I said, well, let me do a little concert at my house. And by this point, I had done my cabaret show, and I was getting to know a lot of the L.A. singers, many of whom are displaced New Yorkers who have been on Broadway and national tour and all of that. And so we we had maybe 10 singers, three different piano players, and we did this Rodgers and Hammerstein show in my house. And I was I, I was high for a week. It was such an exhilarating experience. And I only sang a duet in that show. I wasn't even front and center as a performer. But it gave me such um, satisfaction, and especially because the, the, the audience was so appreciative. And we raised money for the school and all of that. And so then the next year, we moved to a bigger venue, and we continued while my daughter was at that school to do those fundraisers. Um, and that led to work, doing concerts for another nonprofit, uh, and then the uh, classic Broadway show that, that I was talking about, we started doing that, and I was doing benefits, uh, a yearly multi-night benefit for the Actors Fund for many years. Um, and and then all the while, like, you know, always singing in these shows also, and just continuing, you know, to work as a singer with the ultimate goal, you know, I do love to perform. It's not something I don't think now I'm going to quit my job and move to New York and try to be on Broadway. It's more, you know, I just look at it like I I always say I don't do extreme sports. But if I were a skier, I'm sure that's how it would feel to be on the mountain. I do it for the, the 
adrenaline rush and the exhilarating experience and, and also what we do for audiences that when we were doing an evening of classic Broadway, there were so many nights that people would come up to us crying practically, saying, oh, my God, I haven't heard that song in so long. This is so great. And I realized, you know, that what started out as, oh, something for me to have an outlet to, to be able to sing, it was really so important for these audiences. And they loved it so much. And that's how I have sort of felt about this Brickett's show, that in some ways it started out as like a vanity project for me to sing music that I love and record an album. But just the reactions, especially at the live shows, as I was saying, with people being introduced to him, learning about who he was, and all the hits he had and the success he had, and they didn't even know it. You know, I mean, Willy Wonka is opening tomorrow, the, the new movie with Timothée Chalamet. And, you know, it's gotten some good reviews and everything, but people don't associate that with the – I mean, yes, they know there was a movie with Gene Wilder, but they don't think, oh, those songs are by Brickus and Newley. You know, Pure Imagination, yeah. big, big song that everyone knows but no one knows yeah. who wrote it. You know, it's just uncanny. So what was the first live jazz show you ever saw that blew you away? The first what? The first live jazz show you ever saw in person that blew you away. That's a good question. I don't remember, actually, that blew me away. I mean, I can tell you one. I'm not going to tell you who the performers were, but leading into my working on my first cabaret show. I was in New York for some business on a um, musical I was producing. And I went, to, I went to a show at the Metropolitan Room. And I think it was a Monday or a Tuesday night. And they were, you know, three quarters of the way fall. And it was two, like, glorious singers with Broadway credits, a man and a woman. And... I was bored by the second song because they didn't interpret a lyric. They sang, but I could have listened to a recording. And I, at that point, I said, I'm doing a cabaret show. This is ridiculous. I can do this. And I made a list of 37 Stephen Schwartz songs that I wanted to sing. I've worked with Stephen twice on two different of his older musicals. And so I was going to do this Stephen Schwartz song, and on the plane back to L.A., I made all this big list and started thinking about it because I realized, then I started, I started going to a lot of cabaret shows, more than jazz per se. Um, it was more the cabaret world where, you know, you, you appreciate a performer telling stories and telling you why they're singing these songs, why these songs mean something to them. And that's kind of the cabaret art form. Um, as far as jazz, um, I mean, I remember that I, when I, I once did a, um, probably Barbara Morrison would be the person that blew me away. She actually sang in a couple of our actors funds, actors fund benefits years ago, and, and she was just incredible. So what is it that you like the best about being a singer? What is, what, what's, what is it that you look forward to the most? That's a difficult question to answer. Um, 
I, I, you know, I mean, a part of me, I love the live performance experience. As I was saying, you know, there's, there's always sort of this kind of adrenaline rush that you get. And even when things go a little wrong, you know, you manage to just keep going and, and, and stuff like that. And, um, so I, I enjoy that. I like being on stage with other people too. In my show, I, I have, well, on the album, there's a duet, and so I had a male singer in each of the shows singing with me. Um, but I think also there's, there are plenty of times that I am by myself in my house, and I'll even turn on the mics and the sound system and just sing because I love it and because, you know, when you find songs that speak to you, it just, it, it's it's a... It's just a, a warm, fuzzy feeling to sing them, you know? Absolutely. So why do you love jazz? You know, I think my dad always, he loved like big band music and jazz, and I think I got to know it through him, really, and grew to appreciate that style of music, and I think it's sort of a nostalgic thing for me more than anything. So at the end of the day, everyone has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you ultimately run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Well, I think that I'm uh, sort of specific in the type of material that I gravitate toward, and um, I, I, I think I'm a good interpreter of a lyric. The lyrics are always key to me. Um, to be singing about something and not just singing. So I think I would, that's kind of my interpretation of myself, I think, that I'm able to move people with um, conveying, you know, how my connection to the music and bringing them into it so that they can have a similar experience of of the music and the lyrics. So are there any live shows, anything that's coming up on your radar here as we kind of close out this year? Uh, not the rest of this year. We're, um, you know, heading into the holidays, and I'm not doing anything for the holidays. I have a couple of things planned for early next year, a benefit that I'm working on with a friend of mine for the Billy Barnes Foundation, and then... Uh, a show with um, a piano player, Brad Ellis, and two other performers that we did uh, at a venue a few months ago that we're going to revive in a club here. It was a Arlen and Lesser and Stein. It was Harold Arlen, Frank Lesser, and Julie Stein music. And it was, you know, a lot of quartets, duets, trios, et cetera, and solos. Uh, and we're going to do that. And uh, at some point, and I'm, I will, I, you know, probably book some dates for the you and I Leslie Bricka show. And at some point, it would be great to get back to the lineup shows because I really, I love doing those. And, and there are plenty of singers in the L.A. area who don't get to sing enough anymore. And so they would love to do that kind of show. And we had, you know, well, jazz singers, Broadway, TV stars, all kinds of people. 
Wonderful. So if anyone wants to pick up the new album, you and I, learn more about you, live shows next year, anything in your world, where can they go? They can go to my website, which is www.dianefraser.com, uh, Diane with two N's, F-R-A-S-E-R. And the, the album is, is, I just set up actually a way for people to buy the album itself on Bandcamp, so they can look for me on that site. But at the moment, it's available everywhere as a digital purchase, digital download on uh, Amazon Music, Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Uh, it's available everywhere. I love it, Diane. Thank you so much for your story, for your time. Best of luck with the album, and have a great holiday season. You too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and minds in L.A., New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Diane for her time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.